Welcome to the MSU Press Podcast, where we talk about university press publishing with some of the authors, editors, and publishers who make it happen from the campus of Michigan State University. On today's episode, we're joined by Pat Crawford and Brett Burquist to discuss their book, Community Engagement Abroad, Perspectives and Practices on Service, Engagement, and Learning Overseas. Thanks for tuning in. A landmark in our understanding of international community-engaged learning programs, Community Engagement Abroad invites educators to rethink everything from disciplinary assumptions to the role of higher education in a globalizing world. Tapping the many such programs developed at Michigan State University during the last half century, the volume develops a comprehensive framework for analyzing study abroad programs with a community engagement focus. More than a how-to guide, it also offers seven theoretically framed case studies showing how these experiences can change students, faculty, and communities alike. The book's authors take readers on a fascinating journey through how they changed as a result of designing and delivering programs in full collaboration with community partners. And as a whole, the book delivers powerful, persuasive arguments for developing truly reciprocal, mutually beneficial partnerships beyond the academy. I'm pleased to welcome the editors of Community Engagement Abroad, Pat Crawford and Brett Burquist, to the show today. Pat Crawford is the director of the School of Design at South Dakota State University and former associate director of planning, design, and construction at Michigan State University. Brett Burquist leads international strategy and operations as director international at the University of Auckland. Pat, Brett, thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank you, Kurt. Thanks, Kurt. Lovely to be with you. Um, You may hear some waves in the background. I'm sitting on Waiheke Island, just outside of Auckland in Aotearoa, New Zealand, the land of the long white cloud. And I'd like to start with a traditional greeting in Te Reo Māori, the indigenous language of New Zealand. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. So your book uh, really takes MSU study abroad programs as a kind of case study uh, for the university's international engagement. For listeners who don't know much about these sorts of programs, what does a study abroad program look like? And how is it different when we talk about community engagement programs abroad, like those that you look at at MSU? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, You know, for those who know Michigan State, it has one of the largest portfolios of programs in the world. And the real hallmark of how Michigan State does at abroad is the dominance of faculty-led programs. So academic staff at the university taking students overseas to really enrich their learning probably the largest cohort of uh, program leaders um, in the country in that regard. So that's really the hallmark of it, Um, looking at lots of different disciplines and approaches. And so the difference here with community engagement programs is that these ones intentionally focus on the value of learning from within a community. So it's still trying to achieve the same learning outcomes in a discipline, but there's an extra complexity of classroom in that the community is sort of the learning laboratory. So that's really the the difference there. I think Michigan State has well over 300 programs and um, recently I'm touching base with colleagues there. um, I learned that the number of programs with community engagement focus has continued to grow. 
Could you give a few examples, Brett, of what these programs look like? I find it really fascinating that it's individual faculty members who are designing and leading these programs, that they're not sort of top-down institutional endeavors. What do the faculty come up with when they design these programs? What are students, you know, what kinds of things can students choose from? Yeah, and that's really the interesting thing um, that I started learning when I joined Michigan State. At the time, there had been a new focus in the strategic planning at the university to really um, concentrate on communities. And we were asked to look at what that meant in our area. I was leading the, um, the Education Abroad Office at the time. And I knew there were a number of programs that did this, but as you said, it wasn't a top-down approach. So I set out to actually take a look to, to get my head into it and to understand what they meant. I didn't come from development backgrounds. I also hadn't done community engagement work. So I was a real newbie to that field. And I started off by visiting some of the landmark programs. I can maybe give you a quick, couple quick examples. One of them, I traveled to Ireland, uh, to County Mayo, which at the time in the Western part of Ireland was an economically underdeveloped region. And there was about 10 years of work initiated by Frank Fear, um, who was, um, he's retired now, but was one of Pat's Crawford's uh, colleagues at the time in the School of Agriculture. And he had been taking students there with colleagues over the course of a decade every summer to work on different projects that were helping that community to develop its tourism industry and other things that they were doing. But more importantly than just kind of parachuting in and having students do some volunteer work or service learning, he focused a lot on helping that community come together to determine how they wanted to set their agenda. They had a lot of ownership and agency in determining their needs, and they were the ones who decided the projects. And because of that, it meant that there was a lot of continuity. What I was really thrilled to see was how many of the projects had continued and reached a, a certain conclusion and how beneficial it was to a whole network of communities coordinated through one central office um, in, in, uh, in County Mayo. So that was one example. Um, in Ireland. And then I traveled to South America, high up in the Andes, to a little community called Guamachuco. And there we had a really interesting program going. We had someone who came from the engineering field and someone who came from, uh, again, the School of Agriculture. And they were also running a series of different projects. But here, the students had to have had already two years of Spanish. They started their program in the summer with six weeks of intensive Spanish somewhere else. And then they spent six weeks living in the community. They lived with the families. Everything was in Spanish. But the same amount of work of determining what the community needs are, what the projects were. And then the academic staff, the faculty were down there coordinating all of that. So some quick examples. Um, I saw a solar water heating system that apparently a couple of years before brought for the first time hot water to the maternity ward at the local hospital. And then a couple of years on, when I stepped in and visited the program, they, were, um, they had shifted to training the community how to build their own solar water heaters so they could multiply the number of those. There are a range of other projects, but those are just some quick examples. I'd be interested to hear a little more about what the communities on the ground uh, how they interact with these programs or these projects. It sounds like a lot, like in the County Mayo example, it sounds like a lot of work is going on, you know, when students aren't there to figure out how we might put a program like this to use, how we might interact with the university. 
which I think differs from at least my feeling about a lot of higher ed, which kind of has that tendency to swoop in and sort of we're, we're here, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. What do the communities, you know, in places like in County Mayo, how do they prepare for these sorts of things? How do they develop the, the needs that programs like this are trying to fulfill? Yeah, Kurt, I think you've really put your finger on one of the core messages of the book, actually, because this is really the heart of it that we talk about. And this is really what we're trying to bring out in the book. So I came into it trying to learn and describe a collection of things that had not been centrally designed with a clear intention. But as we analyzed it, and perhaps just the commonality of a philosophy of an institution that had been doing this for a long time, even though it wasn't centrally coordinated, what Pat and I found is that was really the core um, sort of unifying element the importance of ensuring that the community had the power and the determination, the agency to decide which kind of projects. Now, that's not to say that programs where uh, a faculty leader with a group of students sort of swoops in is necessarily bad. I mean, there can be lots of circumstances where their engagement is on the lighter end. And in our ways of describing it, we're not saying it has to be like this. This is wrong. This is right, black and white. We talk about a continuum of engagement. And what we try to show in the book is ways of reflecting. We try to give people a way of making choices so they can decide how to design a program in a way that's appropriate to the learning outcomes they've determined. So sometimes a lighter engagement makes sense for what somebody's trying to achieve. Um, The book tries to help them understand how those choices influence the learning outcomes. And the recurring theme throughout is really making sure that the community is the one deciding which projects um, happen there. Back to my example with Ireland, um, one of the things Frank Fear did, they got a Kettering Foundation grant and brought, I think it was a dozen members of the community to Michigan for a month of training to help teach them how to do the strategic planning and determine their needs. And so when I visited the program several years on, I could see that that framework, that foundation had really benefited them and that they were feeling very much in in control and they were able to take that methodology and apply it to other parts of what that community was trying to achieve. It's really interesting to hear the sort of use the word development, which I think is slightly different maybe than the sort of lay person's thinking about you know, study abroad, which which has always sort of felt to me like, oh, I spent, you know, a semester in England going to all the famous historical sites and, you know, feigning an English accent. And now I have a kind of cultured experience as opposed to like really going and doing service there and being part of an ongoing kind of developmental project. What are some of the things that students are, are getting out of these experiences? Really, a lot of the student experience is they're definitely gaining within their discipline. They're they're gaining a lot, whether they're in nursing, sociology, planning. So there's a strong disciplinary connection that's made through the relationship. But something that they learn through the experience that we can't emulate or or push, say, stateside, is really uh, soft skills or those human development skills that they do gain by going through the experience and learning that this whole trip, everything is about certain levels of relationships. Tackling an issue, a problem, a topic, learning to work with other people. 
And in many ways, in today's lingo, soft skills isn't the preferred phrase, but it's employability skills. It teaches them how to problem solve, how to think from different perspectives. And each person in the, the chapters came at it differently, but they all had that common sense of developing a whole person. That's where I would say the student growth was really, in addition to discipline, was in that growing as a human being. And Brett, would you like to add anything? Because I have the faculty perspective and Brett really brings in the international education and the, how do you make these programs available so the faculty can do them? Lots of times the different universities around the country um, will take a lot of time making sure that the education abroad strategy, the reason you're doing these sort of things, links to the graduate outcomes. So there'll be you know, graduate attributes that each university will determine that they want all of their graduates to have when they exit. There's a lot of commonality across those, you know, slight variations, but you know, overall, when you finish your bachelor's degree, we want you to have these sets of skills. And so the reason for doing education abroad is you know, essentially you're in a much more intense sort of petri dish environment. You're sort of swimming it all the time, processing it all the time, rather than I'm going to campus for my one hour lecture three times a week and then going to the library and processing through the rest of my life. You're living, breathing, sleeping, drinking, eating, talking to everybody all about that for a concentrated part of time. Now that's characteristic of a lot of education abroad programs. The wrinkle here is the intentionality of that design of working with the community. So add to that another whole layer of intensity, which is learning within a community. And then everything you're trying to do is contextualized, sometimes incredibly personally, when you're living at the house with the family in that community, really you know, connecting with them. And so for the students, it just turns the dial up in kind of an incubator microwave sort of way um, that, you know, it's a lot of work, but when it works well, it means you can really accelerate the learning outcomes um, towards those skills that, that Pat was describing. Pat mentioned learning outcomes and, and sort of soft skills, employability skills. And, and Brett, you were talking a little bit about, you know, the kinds of things that universities want to say, you know, having had this experience, you're, you know, you've grown in this way, or you've demonstrated those kinds of skills. What kinds of learning outcomes does community engagement of the kind that, that the case studies in your book are looking at offer to students that they maybe couldn't access elsewhere? Well, let's just maybe unpack a little bit the kinds of programs that, that one can talk about. So people who think about education abroad, even today, still think about the semester abroad, you know, or the junior year in Paris, that sort of thing. And that's the experience I had 100 years ago, um, you know, just kind of getting off the plane, diving straight into the deep end, no student support. Housing was a bulletin board of the university and, you know, support was open from 1230 to one on a Friday and you were just swimming on your own. And it was sort of, you know, in the, you know, just off the deep end and it's like teaching your kid to swim by throwing them in the pool right and you dog paddled your way and you were there for a year and so eventually you were going to work your way through things if you didn't crash out and come home and um you know come back with a lot of really wonderful things as we move to increase access to education abroad beyond the humanities majors with money or a lot of financial aid this is where Michigan State really moved the field forward by going into shorter programs, 
deeply integrated into the core curriculum of students degree. So no longer gen ed courses or humanities that were nice extras, but actually straight into the heart of what the student needed to learn was mandatory for that degree. This is where this is the Michigan State model. And then by sending faculty members from the home university who are delivering that, but enhanced with partners in, 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 in the other destination. This is where you are able to achieve similar or many times even better outcomes through a much shorter period of time. And in doing that, you can greatly increase access because you no longer have to sell your car, leave your flat, quit your job. You can go on a summer trip and then come back and reintegrate your life where it was. So that's where the participation rates really started to go up at Michigan State and then throughout the country. Here, when you come to the community part, again, this is that extra layer. It's an incredible amount of work. And that's what we really found as we connected with these faculty members was, I remember thinking to myself the first few times I visited, just the sheer amount of work that went on all year long, not just you know showing up and having a classroom and going on some tours, but the prep that went into that was, you know, phenomenal. And I kept asking myself, why are these faculty members doing this? They've got all the rest of their assignment, you know, they've got to publish, they've got to do their research, their service, their teaching. Why would they take this on above and beyond? And there it was really about the passion that they felt and that they could share with the students. And then the students' ability to, to see that impact in a very concrete way. You're not just observing the phenomena from the outside, you know, like you might come in for one day or go through a museum or understand how this connects and then you move on to the next thing. You're actually kind of doing battle with it all the time. And then if your faculty leader continues to connect with that community, then those alumni can also see how that grows and develops. So it's, it's the deep, deep, deep contextualization of the experience that comes from community engagement that you don't necessarily get from a more traditional or a little bit more, you know, less engaged on kind of programs. You're listening to the MSU Press Podcast. I'm here with Pat Crawford and Brett Burquist, editors of Community Engagement Abroad, Perspectives and Practices on Service, Engagement, and Learning Overseas. I want to follow up on, on something that Brett was saying about, you know, the role of faculty and how much work they do and how sort of they, over time, you know, become ensconced in these communities and are really developing projects for a long term so that they're able to bring students to get involved in real, you know, substantive community work and not just sort of cultural tourism. Pat, you you did a lot of the sort of wrangling faculty members to put the case studies in the book. I wonder if you could say a little bit about what that selection process was like, why these seven case studies, and maybe could you highlight one for us that would be particularly compelling? Sure, thank you. The I'm going to have to say the the project came about in the same way that the study abroad and the community engagement gets developed. Because the first thing that happened was Brett called a meeting, open meeting across the entire university. Hey, if you do engagement work, and he bought us all lunch, best way to get faculty, he fed us. So we all showed up and we just started talking about what we were doing. And I think to the person, we were amazed at how many other people were doing similar kinds of engagement and travel studies with our students. So it was really neat to realize we had camaraderie there. 
We also then realized that we had a story that could be told, but we didn't know exactly what the story was. We knew that no one of us could write it. So at that time, I was the senior director for the Bailey Scholars Program, which was in the College of Ag and Natural Resources and had actually been created by Frank Fear. Frank's name comes up a lot with some of these things. And so with Brett and Frank kind of leading, they said, how can we bring people together and do something, make go from process to product? So it was, it was voluntary. And I set up through Bailey Scholars, which our focus was on connected learning. I felt like it f- felt within the mission of the specialization. It made sense for me to carve out time to do this. So I started hosting with Brett and Frank support a year, year and a half long of breakfast or lunch meetings, bringing faculty together on a voluntary basis to talk about their engagement work. They were offered the opportunity to contribute a chapter. And again, it was voluntary. Um, There are some amazing stories at MSU that are not in the book. People are just busy. You know, so, you know, kudos to all of them. And a special thank you to all of those who were able to contribute a chapter. So we spent a lot of time just talking and trying to find our commonalities. And it's the passion that really was the strongest common factor within this notion of engagement abroad. But we also found that we had engagement is a really broad word with many meanings. You asked about if there was a chapter that I would think about, and it comes from my my home unit in the school. In planning, they're going on, I think now their 25th year, 26th year of an intensive relationship with Dortmund University in Germany. And each year, the students actually go back and forth. Their students came to the US and our students went there on alternating years but 25 years, but it was because of the relationship. And then they even had succession planning. So with the key leaders, you started to see younger faculty come in and you saw what was going on. Christina, we knew she was gonna retire, so she's bringing in the next person. And so to me, it was fascinating to have a relationship that's still going on today that does this engaged work across both continents. And something that you mentioned that that we haven't yet, which is that it's bringing students from Germany to there's a real exchange going on so that there's some opportunity to bring some of those lessons back home as well. There is. And there's there's other stories, especially if you look at some of the folks out of uh, medicine and nursing and the real impact they brought to the communities and the impact they had on They changed the type of profession or medical track that these young people were looking at because of their experience. Yeah. I wonder if we could follow that up a little bit. I was, you know, looking at the table of contents, it it does span a a lot of different fields. You've got planning that you're talking about, the medical work, those kinds of things. I wonder if you could say more about how these service experiences, these, these engaged study abroad experiences, like really shape curriculum around them sort of around, you know, as you say, in the medical school or or elsewhere, where there's a way in which doing that sort of engaged community work changes the whole trajectory of of what folks may have come to the university, you know, thinking they were going to do. Yeah. And that's a really good observation there, Kurt. 
because it does operate quite differently in those different areas. I mean, what the what the medical people are doing is so one example. Coming back to my story of um, traveling really high up in the Andes in Wamachuco, where I had to walk very slowly, or I would faint. It took me a while to adapt to the high climate. Um, and I was describing how we had this really, really deep connection uh, with students spending 12 weeks in, in Peru, six weeks doing intensive language in Cusco, and then six weeks living within this small community high up in the Andes. And it was all about going really, really deep, being able to connect in their language and so on. At the same time that I visited that program, we also had a two-week residency from our medical schools. Um, we have uh, uh, two different medical colleges at, at Michigan State. And they were there primarily to provide clinical care. And what, how they were approaching that was very, very different. You know, it's not that they didn't value the culture and the language, but the main objectives of why they were there was to provide clinical care um, and increase training for the, their, their, their medical students to experience what that looks like in that community. And they were there for a shorter period of time. It was about maximizing access to care, right? And so how these things play into the curriculum isn't, isn't meant to be normative, not to be prescriptive. And that's what we try to cover in the book. And that's why we chose such a big range of disciplines to try to give examples of how it can fit into all kinds of different disciplines. Maybe one, one example, which is probably the, the extreme example from Michigan State, is our residential college of arts and humanities. The final chapters in the book finish up with some examples from that. And this was, so there's a few residential colleges at Michigan State, which gives sort of a smaller school identity inside a very large university. And this one was just starting. And so they had that wonderful experience of being able to design something from scratch. And so they, at the time, they were calling it civic engagement. And they felt so strongly, that group of academics, that they decided that you had to have nine mandatory credits in civic engagement in order to get the degree from that college. And then, you know, it was, you could just, when you met with them, they were like kids in a candy shop. They were so excited about designing what that could look like, what that could mean. Um, and then there's examples of taking students to Costa Rica to do ecotourism development with 12 communities and um, how they then took a, uh, they, they hosted a conference where they brought people from Michigan State down to learn about the programming. But they also realized that they needed a venue so that those 12 communities could come together and learn about what, what they were doing separately with Michigan State. Um, recently, a couple of weeks ago, I had, it was, it was so much, I enjoyed this so much because I've been, I left Michigan State six years ago. And even though I stay in touch with some of my really good colleagues, um, it's difficult to take the time to see just how much this has evolved. Uh, and there's so much work going on. Um, Jean-Paul Souavi at the Education Abroad Office is leading a whole piece of work. What they're calling now is global community engaged learning. So that's the, that's the jargon that they're using currently. And people like the new executive director, Opal Lehman Bartzis, um, Inge Steglitz and Elizabeth Wanschneider, the associate directors, are really continuing to advance this work. And I was asked to review the promotion file 
for a colleague from the Residential College of Arts and Humanities, Vincent Delgado, who had been very involved in this work in Costa Rica. And so that gave me a chance just to dive into where things were. And I learned that recently funding was received to create a global engagement transition framework and it's just great to see the, the work moving further forward and the number of programs growing. But I think the core part of it is, again, encouraging people to consider how this kind of work could enhance their curriculum, but not necessarily telling them how they have to do it. You know, letting the faculty make the choice, making choices that are specific for the learning outcomes that make sense for that discipline, which are not always the same. Um, and then how working within a community can potentially really dial up the outcomes and intensify the experience if you're willing to put the work in and to take on that 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 extra level. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you pointed out that the book isn't prescriptive in that sort of this is, you know, here are the 10 things to do to make sure that it happens, but rather sort of modeling, you know, what it looks like for folks who, who actually want to put in the work and, and set up these kinds of programs. I wonder if we could distill some of that into like what are some basic general tips that you might have for faculty members who would want to be thinking about doing this kind of thing maybe they don't know where to start or maybe they're facing sort of that kind of prescriptive language coming out of their own institutions saying you know this is what study abroad looks like here this is how it's done you know go out and enact it uh, as opposed to having the sort of freedom that you describe individual faculty members having at MSU, what would you say to someone um, just getting started in sort of designing this kind of community engaged learning experience? Let me give one really pragmatic tip and then let's have Pat who's done this as a faculty member, taking students to lots of different countries speak from a faculty member's perspective. So my number one tip would be never underestimate the work that goes into this. And if you want to do a community engaged learning abroad program, the first thing you should do is to find one to go and visit while it's actually operating. Now that's challenging to do if you're in a smaller institution and a lot of people skip that step, but every time you can have a faculty member visit a program while it's operating with an experienced faculty member, even it's from, from a different institution, every single time that is time and energy very very well spent and that faculty member has a much better experience developing their own you made me think back before i started really leading my own study abroads i did shadow on three different models to try to get because i knew there wasn't one way of doing study abroad so i had a sense of different personalities and ways of doing things got to see some of the hiccups firsthand when you're in the field like that, and especially if it's not your first language, all kinds of things pop up and you need new uh, problem solving skills. But one of my recommendations really, if I'm looking at a, probably an associate professor faculty level, would be to be sure to think about all the different ways you can process and do the work because there's, you can look at the intrinsic values that the students will, will gain benefit, the community will gain benefit, and those are fantastic goals. But there's also some extrinsic values, such as what are the outcomes that happen? And it takes work to think about the intrinsic and extrinsic 
simultaneously so that you create products that will also, they will advance your career path, obviously, but it's those products then that will help others learn from you and your work. And it could be creating generalized lessons. And a lot of the chapters do talk about what they learned. And depending upon your focus or how you want to engage in it, a certain chapter will make more sense or resonate more appropriately with where you're at today. With that, though, I would also say it's really helpful to go back over time with the different stories because you're in a different place and you will see something different in the stories and you'll take something different out of it. And so it's to be sure to do a broad range of how you pay attention to your work from the sense making, the students, the products. And it's difficult to ping or ring all bells every year, but over time, you want to, you do want to pull together a big package. How has the two of your thinking about community engagement abroad uh, in these kinds of service learning projects changed as a result of, of doing the work that culminated in this book? Fascinating, the administrative structure it takes to let us faculty do this work. I mean, it, it really is the, the systems that allowed us to focus on our discipline and deliver it in the ways that felt right for myself as a faculty member and for my students. So also where I was at in my pathway and where the students are at in their learning. So Brett, Brett can really talk about what it takes for an institution to be flexible and allow faculty to do these things. Yeah, it's, it's really quite a challenge and it, it's difficult to overestimate the amount of work that it takes. What was interesting at Michigan State is I think there was, you know, whether there was intentionality or not, there was enough core cultural adhesion to these principles, just intrinsic in the DNA of the institution that individual faculty members could find their way towards that and they could find the support around them. I'm not so sure that would be as possible operating as a, as a sole operator in a, smaller, in a smaller place. And that's one of the reasons for the book is to help smaller programs or larger ones that want to consider this learn, you know, learn some lessons from, from previous people, as, as Pat was describing. From my perspective, in terms of th this piece of it, as I look at it, it's interesting. I, I've been doing international work in several different countries for quite a long time now. And here I am in New Zealand, where the reason for doing these sort of things is, is very, very different. Um, we're a small island nation. Um, you know, there's nobody in this country that doesn't understand the importance of international and trade. Auckland City, 40% um, of the people who live in the city were born somewhere else. So the concept of, you know, there's a big world out there is not something we, we worry about very much here. Um, so the drivers for why you're doing international vary a lot by country, by university, by size, by discipline. And I think the common factor that we find here and elsewhere, because we do have some community work that happens here, is that when it, when it works well, it really optimizes the experience for the students and the faculty members can really be thrilled with what they see is better learning outcomes. But as we've been highlighting throughout the, the conversation, it's not easy and you have to really roll up your sleeves and do it with intentionality. And so that's really what we're trying to bring in, in the book is a way of thinking about that, 
lots of examples um, for people to consider. As we sort of start to wrap up here, I was wondering if if you could say a little bit about how does this kind of activity fit into the mission of the university sort of more broadly? One of the things that I was thinking about is the kinds of community engagement that happens in a university's home community, you know, that there are programs like this where people aren't going abroad. Where does study abroad fit in the sort of larger mission of the university? If um, I come from a long history of land-grant universities and the notion of contributing to our communities, working with our communities, is it's why we're here. So we do, in, in various programs, there's a lot of engagement work with local communities or, or regionally, statewide. It's really just taking that same idea, that same ethos, and going to another country. So for I know for me and my land grant heritage, it's just part of what we do. And the, the whole notion of service learning really began with helping students realize that they, they needed to apply their knowledge and they wanted to apply their knowledge. So the ideas of service learning came about. And as we've all grown, we've moved from providing service to engaging with. And I think this notion of engagement shows um, our growth as universities and people and how we work with each other. Yeah, and I, I just want to add that not everyone is sitting in one of those large state land-grant universities. So if you're sitting in a smaller space or even in a community college, for example, and wanting to connect with this sort of thing, obviously, if you have an education abroad office, that's a great place to start. But also, um, a lot of institutions have a service learning component that sits somewhere inside the, the university. It's always a big part of higher education. And this work we've been describing on the podcast and in the book is really the intersection between those two those two families. And there's conferences, lots of other frameworks and, and uh, literature that one can review. And what we're trying to do is sort of do that Venn diagram of where they come together. And I think you do a really great job of providing, you know, a lot of varied resources and theoretical approaches and, and even practical tips in the book for folks who are looking to get started on this path. I think with that, we're about out of time. Um, before we go, I wanted to say thanks to both of you so much, uh, Pat and Brett, for joining us today. It's been really exciting to hear about the kind of work that you're doing and to think about you know, how much opportunity there is in the university to, to do something slightly different and that makes a real difference in the world. So thank you both for taking the time to join me today and, and share about your project. Thank you, Kurt. Thanks, Kurt. Community Engagement Abroad, Perspectives and Practices on Service, Engagement, and Learning Overseas is available at msupress.org and other fine booksellers. You can connect with Brett on Twitter at bburquist, and you can connect with the press on Facebook and at MSU Press on Twitter, where you can also find me at Kurt Milne. The MSU Press Podcast is a joint production of MSU Press and the College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University. Our theme music is Coffee by Cambo. Michigan State University occupies the ancestral, traditional, and contemporary lands of the Anishinaabeg Three Fires Confederacy of Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi people. The university resides on land ceded in the 1819 Treaty of Saginaw. Thank you all so much for listening, and never give up on books.